Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the DX Mentor podcast, The Expedition to Clipperton Island. Thank you for joining us. This episode is sponsored by ICOM America, makers of the finest radios and accessories for your amateur radio station, by DX Engineering, one of the best one-stop shopping destinations for all things amateur radio, including technical information, and by the Daily DX, the best source for real-time DX information. This episode is also sponsored by the Southwest Ohio DX Association, one of the premier DX clubs in the nation. In this episode, we will attend a detailed discussion on the upcoming de-expedition to Clipperton Island. My guests are Joe, W-A-G-E-X, Dave, K-3-E-L, and Chris, N-6-Whiskey-Mike. Now let's tune in to our gurus and learn about this upcoming de-expedition. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the DX Mentor podcast and the YouTube version. Uh, I'm Bill AJB, and uh, today uh, we're going to talk about an up- upcoming de-expedition by the Perseverance DX Group, and they're headed to Clipperton. And I couldn't be more excited. And, and looking over the webpage and the people involved, um, it's a pretty big deal. The DX Club has got the who's who in it, so I'm really excited to learn a lot about this de-expedition. Um, I'll introduce the people we have here, and if you can take a minute and just talk about your DX life, that'd be great. Uh, and I'll start with our old standby, Joe, W-A-G-E-X. Well, thanks, uh, uh, Bill, and nice to be here as, as always. Um, my DX experience, I've been on so far, <clears throat> excuse me, got a frog. <clears throat> I've been on 62 uh, D expeditions. Um, I guess my, my main ones were um, Midway, Wake Island, Swains Island, uh, been on a lot in the Caribbean, been out quite a bit by my uh, by myself, but um, I'm pretty much a DXer all the way. All right, uh, and then we have Chris, N6WN, Chris, WM, yeah. let me be clear, M. Whiskey, whiskey Mike. <laughs> whiskey Mike. Thank, thank, thanks, Bill. Yeah, uh, I, um, you know, I, I, interestingly, I'm, I'm kind of a late bloomer ham. I've only been a ham for about 15 years. And uh, um, I, I uh, jumped right into DXing about a year after being, uh, getting my license uh, and managed to get myself up into the 320 range in that 15, uh, 15 years. Uh, so I was kind of hot into to DXing here. Um, uh, my background is, um, uh, I'm an ex-Navy uh, uh, sailor and uh, U.S. Naval Hospital Corpsman. I was a flight medic in the Navy, and I spent a lot of time at sea while I was in the Navy, and, uh, and now uh, in my uh, technology life, post, uh, post-Navy, uh, I enjoy going to sea on de-expeditions. I've done a lot of uh, uh, contest expeditions. Uh, you may have uh, seen me operate as ZF-1A from the Cayman Islands. Um, I've operated from Hawaii, um, and, uh, uh, and I was also a member of the, uh, of BP-60 Ducey Island expedition, uh, and where I met the, this great team of folks from the Perseverance DX group. And, and that wasn't the most recent Ducey, that was five years that ago? That was, yeah, 2018, 2018, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, there it is, yeah. It's a pretty bird logo. <laughs> you can always tell our pretty bird logos. Okay. <laughs> I also had I did a little research and I, I'm looking at some other keywords: uh, EMT, networking, ready, and DXing versus contesting. So hopefully <laughs> we'll get into some of those keywords as we move along. So, well, thank you for taking time. Uh, you're obviously in the middle of your day, so I appreciate you doing that. And then we have Dave K3 Echo Limo. Dave, 
Yeah, hi, and good afternoon, and uh, thanks, Bill and Joe, for the opportunity to uh, to be here this afternoon. So, um, yeah, I started off as a ham as a teenager, um, you know, like many kids. Uh, this was back in the uh, 70s, uh, little one or two valve receivers, and then, uh, um, you know, listening to the locals on 160, because that was about anything, all that I could hear, because uh, the radio wasn't stable at higher frequencies, and you know, listening to all the um, broadcast stations back then that were on uh, shortwave and uh, gradually got um, pulled into ham. So my first call sign was G4HJT, which I've still got, um, which I had in the mid-70s. And then, uh, you know, like a lot of us, uh, life and work gets in the way. And so I had a, a break for many years um, and eventually... Uh, got back on the air in Canada for a few years. I was living in Montreal for several years and then um, moved down to uh, to Pennsylvania for work. And so uh, had uh, um, that's where I got my K3EL call sign and, uh, you know, had that, uh, had that ever since. I think it was around 96, 97, 98, something like that when I got back on the air. And... Um, so I'd always been interested in, in DX uh, and, and trying to work DX as a kid. And of course, uh, with a, a very small station and actually in the bottom of a valley, uh, um, it wasn't a great DX location uh, when I was a kid. So uh, that's where I got my enthusiasm for CW because uh, it was the, about the only mode that uh, people could hear me on back then. But um, uh, So I've uh, continued enjoying that ever since. But um, yeah, I enjoyed chasing the DX, and I'd always wanted to be part of the expedition. And uh, so I guess 2010, 11, 12, around there, started looking for a, a trip to join and um, ended up going down to Campbell Island on the ZL9HR trip. And um, several of the members of that expedition um got on quite well together and we talked about well, what we, what would we like to do next and where would we like to go and things like that and uh, so that was essentially where the idea of uh, forming a group and um, starting to organize our own expeditions came from and that was uh, so that was the uh, uh, the birthplace if you like of the perseverance dx group and uh, why perseverance um, because a lot of those discussions happened in Perseverance Harbor, which is a sort of big inlet, um, which gives a very nice sheltered anchorage in uh, the middle of Campbell Island. Campbell Island is um, one of the sub-Antarctic islands, uh, several hundred miles south of New Zealand. And so uh, it was wonderful to have this uh, really sheltered location where we could uh, um, you know, relax without worrying too much about what the weather was doing outside because it was gonna be pretty rough. <laughs> went outside but anyway that was uh, that was where pdxg started and since then we've um we've organized several expeditions um you know uh, chris talked about uh, the Ducey island trip a few years ago uh, um more recently we were down in south orkney vp8pj and uh, then there was a, a group that went to the austral islands recently and you know you do things outside of the group as well so uh, i was part of the uh, herd island team back in 2016 and a couple of other uh, 
you know, small island trips, just flying trips uh, as well over the years. So that's, okay. uh, that's me, basically. I think the only one you left off that I have on my list might be Mellish, right? You went to Mellish Reef as well? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. we went to wow. So, yeah. Quite Ooh, a list. Yeah. Let's take a break to learn about the, the Daily DX. Hey, I just poured you a cup of coffee. You look pretty happy. How'd you do? I worked him on the third call. Can you believe it? You worked him on the third call? Seriously? I thought you just had that little pistol station. I do, but I have a secret weapon. A secret weapon? What is it? Information. I knew when they were on the air, their operating habits. Heck, I even knew the equipment they're using. I just had to be there when they came up on the band. I even beat the spotting network. Wow, how'd you manage all that? I get the Daily DX from Bernie, W3UR. In addition to the weekly and daily bulletins, I also receive special notices when things change in real time. I feel that I'm always on top of every de-expedition. So now you just need to confirm it, right? Yep, that's it. Bernie even helps me with that, giving me QSL routes and QSL managers if they don't use LOTW. The Daily DX is a DX bulletin sent via email to you Monday through Friday. It includes DX news, IOTA news, QSN reports, QSL information, a DX calendar, propagation forecast, and much, much more. With a subscription to the Daily DX, you will also receive DX news flashes and other interesting DX tidbits. Bernie's been an integral part of my confirming over 300 entities and WAZ while operating a modest station. W3UR Bernie is the editor, a member of the DX Honor Roll, a member of the 3000 Challenge Club, as well as the editor of the How's DX column in QST. He is uniquely positioned to have his finger on the pulse of the DX community and shares this information weekly. Why not let Bernie be your secret weapon? You can get a free two-week trial at www.dailydx.com. Now let's go have that cup of coffee and tune around. So what what you're planning is to go uh, um, as uh, TX Five Sierra, right? Tango X-ray Five Sierra, from January to starting January seventeenth for sixteen days. Is that about right? So how uh, right. mm -hmm. how did you come about and saying okay, well, what we ought to do is is we ought to go to this island versus another island? <laughs> how did you pick that? Well. You know, you're always looking for where could the next one be, and you have a bit of a list of uh, possible um, locations. And we've been working on um, one location for a couple of years over over COVID. We'd started the uh, contacts before uh, before that, even I think. Um, and I think uh, um, you know one thing that we'll see for a lot of uh, more remote islands um, is that they're getting more diff difficult to access, not physically more difficult necessarily, but um, more difficult to access in terms of getting permission. And so after a couple of years of uh, working on this other uh, potential location, um, it really didn't pan out because uh, simply the laws, the regulations had changed. Um, since uh, you know the last trips down there, and now with the bar for uh, 
what was acceptable was uh, was much much higher, and it wasn't really compatible with uh, what we wanted to do. So um, we started thinking about what were uh, other potential locations, and um, Clipperton came up. It's not the highest on the um, you know most wanted list by all means, although it's quite high in Europe particularly, but. You know, it's it's just such a famous uh, place in terms of DX history. I mean, for years it was uh, very high on the uh, most wanted list. And, uh, you know, over the last couple of decades, there have been more regular expeditions, fairly large expeditions, which have brought it net down. But nevertheless, it's, uh, you know, it's just got a lot of such a lot of DX history that it sounded attractive to go to Clipperton. Um, we have a couple of members of our uh, group who've, who were there on the last trip, um, the uh, TX5K, and um, they want to go back. So it can't have all been bad. <laughs> you know, it can't be, uh, it, it must be a good place to go to, right? So, and that would have been, let's see, TX5K was 2013, I guess. So that it'll be interesting to see what yeah, their impressions right. are 10 years later, right? Just to see uh, see what it looks like. It will be, it will be, and it'll be interesting to see what is, uh, you know, how much has actually changed. One thing, for example, is that um, when they were there, there were a huge number of crabs, um, but since there has been a rising population of rats, which has been induced um, due to a shipwreck there. There have been a lot of shipwrecks on Clipperton over the years. Um, but the rats eat the crabs, and the rats bother the um, the birds as well, and they also, um, uh, you know, have an effect on the vegetation because the crabs might have been eating the vegetation, and uh, there aren't so many crabs. Then uh, you know, perhaps there's more, um, you know, more of the island is vegetated rather than bare sand. So it's going to be interesting to see how much the folks have been there before. Um, actually think it's changed. And, um, you know, I mentioned a couple of folks were on TX5K and then uh, Jackie's at L3CW. He's been there several times um, over the years. So uh, um, both um, professionally and uh, for ham radio purposes. But if I, I've got a um, little graphic here, which I'll share on the screen. This is um, from a, a research report that was published a few years ago. And it's just showing how much of Clipperton is um, covered with vegetation um, over the years. And so if you look back in 1958, the top left, you'll see much of it is, is green. So there's a lot of vegetation. There's a number of coconuts, but most of this is low vegetation. 68, it's quite different. And by the 80s and up to 2000, almost all the vegetation is gone. Just uh, a modest number of, a well, decent number of coconut palms, in fact, but, um, you know, um, a lot had changed. And then by 2015, vegetation's coming back again. And this is perhaps, you know, because of the effect of the, uh, uh, the rats on the crab population. So, um, you know, we think of these places as uh, not really changing, but in fact, it's it's pretty dynamic. It's pretty amazing how much uh, you know an island like that can change over um, a short period. And mm. you know, Chris, you and I were joking the other day. Uh, who knows <laughs> what we're we're going to see? Right? You were saying the yeah. hurricane that just went through. Yeah, 
Easy, easy hurricane uh, rat abatement, perhaps, you know, a, a nice storm surge to drown everybody. But then Dave pointed out that there's a rock in there that they're probably all crawled up on top of. So they're probably still there. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you, uh, Chris, if there's any uh, if you're taking any rat, rat repellent with you, um, <laughs> because yeah, if they have no predator, there, there could be quite a few of them. So, yeah, uh, you know, you never know what you're going to run into you know, on these islands. And, uh, but, uh, you know, thanks to you know, people that have been there before and, you know, knowledge of stuff that we're up, up against, you know, we've got team members that are talking about how to maintain our camps and make sure that we have a, you know, some level of, you know, within reason, um, you know, protection from, you know, crab in sleeping bag or rat in sleeping bag, that type of thing. So uh, sometimes you just got to make do, you know. <laughs> And I know sometimes there's been issues with um, guano falling all over the place and walking across it. And this, this is a whole different problem I've ever heard of. This could, hopefully it won't be an issue, but. Um, it, it probably will be, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it sounds like you're prepared for it, Chris. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, keeping an open mind and being prepared, you know, when you're going into an environment that's visited very infrequently by humans. You know, you never, what is it? You never know what you're going to get, right? And, yes. uh, you know, there's always, you know, there's always the unexpected and being prepared for the unexpected is, is you know, one of the things that I like to do to make sure that things go okay. So what's the population of uh, Clipperton? <laughs> zero. Well, zero. Zero. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I didn't know if there was a... But there have been... Yeah, I mean, there have been over the years back at the, um, uh, you know, turn of the century, so early 1900s, there was a, um, a small group of uh, uh, Mexicans who were sent there, essentially, and this was a claim for the island, but uh, it, uh, it seems to have all ended pretty badly. They ended up uh, essentially abandoned for many years, and... Um, there's some there's some gruesome stories uh, related to that, and the the last survivors were picked up by a, a U.S. cruiser who was, um, I think, looking to to see if there were uh, you know there was a German uh, spy outpost there in the First World War. So, um, uh, but uh, googling that and looking up some of the the stories from the uh, back history of Clipperton is uh, is fairly interesting. But wow. but essentially, there's been no permanent occupation since then. Okay. Now let's have a quick word from ICOM. From base stations to more portable models, ICOM has the best radio for working your favorite bands this summer. Whether you're outside enjoying sunny skies or inside by the air conditioning, stay cool with ICOM. An example of this is the IC905. Explore the world of microwave with ICOM's new SHF portable, the IC905. This all-mode rig covers 20 meters, 70 centimeters, 1.2 gig, 2.4 gig, and the 5.6 gigahertz bands and with the optional CX10G transverter, 10 gigahertz. This transceiver also has a few industry firsts under its belt. It's the first to, su to support the five major global bands from VHF to SHF, the first PoE-powered RF module designed to be at the base of the antenna to eliminate signal loss, and the first to be compatible with amateur TV in analog FM mode. Other features include a large 4.3-inch touchscreen color LCD, real-time high-speed spectrum scope and waterfall display, 
easy digital mode settings, high performance GPS antenna, which is supplied, full D-Star functionality in the DV stroke DD mode, and an SD card slot. Aim higher and enter the world of SHF. Another example is the IC7300. The IC7300 is a high performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design that will far exceed your expectations. This innovative HF transceiver digitizes RF before various receiver stages, reducing the generated inherent noise in different IF stages. This is the radio that changed the way entry-level HF is designed. Features include RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, a large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, and an SD memory card slot. The real HF fun starts with the IC7300. Another rig that exemplifies the fine engineering and design that ICOM offers is the IC9700. This transceiver brings direct sampling to the UHF-VHF weak signal world. This all-mode transceiver is loaded with innovative features that are sure to keep you busy, such as 4.3-inch touchscreen color TFT LCD with real-time high-speed spectrum scope and waterfall display, smooth satellite operations with 99 satellite channels, and a dual watch operation and full duplex operation in satellite mode. You can expect top performance on field day with ICOM's IC9700. Finally, to round out this amazing line is the IC7610. This is the 7610 SDR that every ham wants. This high performance SDR can pick out faint signals in the presence of stronger adjacent signals. The IC7610 is a direct sampling SDR that has changed the world's definition of an HDR transceiver. It includes RF direct sampling system, 110 dB of RMDR, independent dual receiver, and dual DigiSelect for the love of ham radio. You can find out more information about ICOM's complete offering by going to icomamerica.com stroke amateur, or if you look in the show notes, I have a list of all of the URLs for each of these radios. Uh, when did you start preparation? So you, you made, you realized, okay, we, we got to switch targets. You pick a new target and then, you know, how long does that take then to get to the point where, okay, we're ready to go. Yeah. yeah. It was year. actually, yeah, not, not very long ago. It was, um, yeah, about a year. And I, I had to go back and check, uh, check some emails. Uh, that's my memory these days is the email file to see when we started <laughs> doing what. And uh, yeah, it was uh, just over a year ago, in fact, that um, we first started talking about this. Um, I mean, some of these take a lot longer than that to organize, and it's mostly the permissions. But mm -hmm. um, we were lucky. We got some really good help. Um, from a, a, a local ham in um, uh, in French Polynesia, Philippe FO4BM, and he's a, um, uh, an old acquaintance of uh, Jackie's at L3CW, who's the um, team leader for this uh, Clipperton trip, and uh, he really helped us negotiate the um, uh, the authorities because a lot of the administration it's a French island, and so a lot of the administration is actually done out of Poly mm. French Polynesia. Wow. So um, he helped uh, help move things along in the, the early days. Um, the the authorities on French Polynesia are really very very um, 
good and in tune with what ham radio is and what uh, what sort of things we want to be doing and uh, they have a very well set up um, uh, process if you like so i first experienced this several years ago when i went to the austral islands and was really pleased in just how easy it was to get the permit and so um uh, it's the licensing is is quite easy and the the, comp the complexity comes from the landing permission that's sure. that's what's more complicated so is is there any challenge to to landing i mean if i with the, the map you just showed up it looks like it's a very interesting you know kind of a layout so are there are there challenges to where you're going to land and set up yeah so um <laughs> yeah, let me just share another, uh, another picture again yeah <laughs> so yeah uh, let's try this one um, so you know you can you can see here uh, an edge of the the island so you can see there's this lagoon in the middle which is actually um not quite fresh water, but it's only brackish. Um, it's basically just fed by rainwater uh, coming onto the island, um, but there's no passage into the sea. Um, and then you've got the, uh, you know, the beach, and uh, uh, most of it really is quite low. There's just the one rock that you can see in the middle of the middle top of the picture, which is um, sort of remnant of the uh, um, top of the volcano, which forms the island. But most of the rest of it is just coral. <coughs> but the problem is, out around the you know the edge of the beach, you can see where these waves are breaking. So you've got a fringing reef, which is pretty complete. So that makes um, that makes landing actually quite challenging. And uh, if you go back and um, list uh, read up about a lot of the previous expeditions. Um, there are often comments about uh, about how difficult it has been to land safely and um you know there was an article in uh, cq magazine in march 1992 and this was talking about an upcoming <coughs> excuse me fo zero ci trip and um he called uh, the this was written by v2ml and his uh, title for this article was clipperton Amateur Radio's Hard Luck Island, and uh, so it goes on to recount how, um, how many teams have had problems um, getting onto the island and uh, or weather problems while they're there. So, so the big issue is really getting across the, um, the fringing reef, and then once you get inside there, there's a lot of coral heads and such like, which uh, um, you know could be very dangerous. So you need to basically surf your zodiac or whatever sort of um, a uh, small boat that you're, you're using, you sort of surf a wave and try and uh, go over the reef uh, coming in with the um, uh, with the waves. But um, obviously, if the sea is too rough, then you've got a big risk of uh, being flipped over and then you're in potentially a very difficult situation with, uh, you know, being banged around in the coral. And uh, um, so... If you look back at uh, previous expeditions, then um, you'll you'll often see people talking about how many days they spent simply 
driving around the island, right, uh, looking for an appropriate landing spot and um, and waiting for the sea conditions to actually abate enough so that uh, you can safely get in. So, so that's going to be the major, major challenge. We have to be realistic that when we get there, we might end up, uh, you know, this was the experience they had on the last trip in 2013. They got there and then they spent two days basically going around the island um, looking for a good spot uh, or the best spot to land and, and waiting for the uh, swell to reduce so that they mm. they actually could land. So, you yeah. know, this is one of the, the unknowns. We just have to be uh, prepared for, for that and maybe just prepared to wait. Um, so, so luckily Dave, we've got a fairly long expedition plan. So, yeah. Mm. Dave, will your uh, stations all be together or will you separate sideband and, and uh, CW um, a half a mile apart or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly the latter. Um, so we'll have two camps, uh, probably about 500 meters apart. And this is pretty much uh, the sort of setup we had on Ducey, right, Chris? And we were it was, yep. that was pretty good in um, yeah. reducing interference. And you could have one station on CW, one station on phone, right? And we were that no worked problem. pretty well. Yeah, I did want band. to mention yeah, the same. I, I, I did want to backtrack a little bit and mention that the the the, the uh, landing issues that uh, Dave was mentioning are not unique to Clipperton. We had a similar problem on Ducey Island. Fortunately, we didn't have to wait two days. I think Dave and the crew of the uh, crew of the boat that we went to to uh, Ducey on were able to find a, a, a way in rather quickly. But that's exactly what we had to do: is surf over the reef in order to get to the island. And now let's hear a word from one of our newest sponsors. Hey, Bob, I heard a rumor that you're now a licensed ham. Is that true? That is true. I'm very excited. I uh, passed the test two weeks ago and just received the call sign of Kilo Echo 8 Yankee Sierra Romeo. That's great. K-E-8-Y-S-R. Congratulations. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I hadn't studied really for anything in many years. So I tell you, it was a little bit of effort. Uh, kind of connecting all the dots, but it was fun, and I was happy and relieved to pass. Great. Well, what was the hardest part? Well, there were really two parts. You know, the first part was really just learning all the terms and slang. I can see that. that that's anything you get into. There's a whole uh, lexicon that you have to learn. What was the second difficult part? Well, you know, now that I have the uh, have the license, it's the equipment selection. You know, what antennas, what rigs, what frequencies for that matter, what accessories. I, uh, I wanna do it right, but I don't wanna have to mortgage the house to do it. On top of that, I'm in an HOA, so that's a special consideration and might affect what kind of equipment. Uh, but I'm interested in hearing what your advice is. Well, when it comes to all of this together, I, I just have two words, just two. It'll solve all your problems, Get all your questions answered independently with technical support to back it up. Okay, give it to me. What are the two words? <laughs> well, the first one is DX Engineering. DX Engineering. DX Engineering is an American company who's committed to serving the ham radio community. At DX Engineering, amateur radio is what they know. From the pleasure of rag chewing, the satisfaction of working a new rare one, they understand your every need for top performing and reliable products. It's impossible to overstate the importance of filling those needs. 
Even if you're starting your amateur radio journey with a concentration on VHF and UHF, exploring the more local, regional market, et cetera, DX Engineering has the products you will need and the expert advice to help you with your selection. You know, honestly, their goal is simple. Fulfill your needs with the best products and technical support. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm just not sure what facet of ham radio I really want to dive into. Well, I would say that whether you're answering a distance CQ or you're handling emergency traffic or you're you're working a parade as a fundraiser, having the proper DX engineering equipment in your station or on yourself gives you the advantage of being able to hear and be heard as well as possible. The DX engineering slogan is the name says it all. Okay, well, that's that's one word or phrase, and that sounds like a good one. But what's the second word that you mentioned? Well, the second one is ICOM. They make the finest radios and accessories for the amateur radio operator. They're great supporters of the ham radio community, and they're sold and supported by DX Engineering. Uh, we're kind of back to that one word or phrase again. Yeah, it's one word. You're right. DX Engineering. It's the one-stop shop for everything you need. Uh, Dave, to get your license, was was that any problem? So, Chris, that brings up a question I was going to ask you about because we, Joe and I had a chance to talk to Don Greenbaum, N1DG, uh, about a month ago or so ago, and he and, he and Joe were kicking around stories about folks that have been, um, had an accident, like, you know, somebody cut their leg on, a, on the boat itself before <laughs> they could even land, and he was on a blood thinner, and that presented its own kind of problems, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and Don made the comment, of, if I recall, that Anytime there's coral involved with anyone, there's there's a potential issue. So are, are you the uh, only trained? Um, I know you have EMT uh, experience. Uh, will there be someone else or is it going to fall on you? No, we have a physician on our team. Uh, and we we had a physician on Ducey Island, too. Um, and uh, but there are a couple of us that are uh, I think that not only myself, but uh, there's another operator on our team that's a paramedic a or, or a former paramedic. Um, my medical training is, is in, you know, combat medicine. Uh, and, and, uh, so it's kind of uniquely suited for this kind of stuff. And, and I think that the, uh, the physician that we have on our team is pretty experienced at, at dealing with these issues as well. So we got a lot of medical backup. But, but clearly it's becoming more and more important, isn't it? To have that to your access. And yeah, when you, when you mentioned, you mentioned, yeah, yeah, I, I, I've had to use my, uh, I'll say I've had to use my skills before. We'll, okay. we'll, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> so Joe, you've had a couple where you, you've, um, you've had some challenges in landing, I think. Does, does one come to mind in particular in the past here? Well, when we was on, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Swains, and of course the boys are going there um, again, but years and years ago when it was a, a plantation, coconut plantation, uh, those old timers um, cut a, a slot through the uh, through the reef. And, and that's the only way really to get in and out. So like Dave was mentioned, you you have to play the waves out. <clears throat> Otherwise, you're going to turn turn the dinghy over. Yeah, it can get a little challenging. Yeah, but so because I've never been through the process, and this is probably a good question for all three of you. Just from a 30,000 foot view, what kind of things do you have to take into account when you're planning a de-expedition? Uh, obviously you got the team and, and the food and the tents and how you're gonna feed them and the latrines and stuff. Um, I know there's gotta be a lot of other, de and I don't wanna get down in the minutia, we'll be here all day, but. 
I mean, there's, you know, from, from my perspective, it's pretty much everything, right? Because this is a completely unpopulated island. So you, you kind of need to set up a little, you know, a camp that's, you know, capable of, of sustaining, you know, these, these 15, 16 people's uh, 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 well-being and uh, ability to do our jobs and get into the tents and make QSOs, which is what we're there to do. Um, but we need food. We need, you know, we need uh, water. We need uh, shelter. We need uh, uh, a place to clean. We need a place to, to do our, you know, do, do our toiletry business. You know, it, it's there's lots and lots, you know, and that that's just the, the human sustaining portion of it. Then you've got the whole amateur radio portion of it, right? You know, power, you know, basically setting up a little power company and, and making sure that that, that 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 the camp has power, that all the all the amateur radio tents have appropriate power, that all that's been taken into account, measured out. You got everything, you know, ready to go, and so you can uh, actually operate, you know, the expedition and put on a good show, you know. And uh, that takes a lot of logistics planning, and and I would say that that's most of the year of planning, right? It's just working out the logistics of all of this stuff and making sure that it's a successful uh, operation. Wow. You pretty much have to take a hardware store with you. Don't you agree, Chris? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, anything that you, you need, I, well, we've had to fix amps on the Island. We've, you know, it's, yeah. it's you know, you know, it's stuff, you know, stuff blows up just like it does here, in, <clears throat> you know, in the continental U S you know, you can have, you know, an amp fault on you or blow on you. And you might have to, I remember very specifically uh, uh, a K5GS uh, working on uh, an amplifier at Ducey Island because it, 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 it had gone south. And, and so you just got, you got to fix it there or, or it's not available to you anymore. Right? Yeah. So. Um, holy cow. So yeah. what, what's been very enlightening to me uh, over the last couple of years, hanging with Joe and Jay K4ZLE and, and some people like that, more than anything, it's kind of like, you know, I sit here in the basement, I can't work you on 30 and I'm getting all frustrated. And it's like, now I can't even hear him. Damn, I'm going to go upstairs. I just don't think about all the stuff that you guys had to do on the other end. And it's, and the more I'm learning, it's, it's really kind of staggering, you know, and, and it's like, holy cow, they got, you know, Joe tells a story about them arriving. Where did you arrive without barrel connectors? Uh, midway. So they're on Midway with no barrel midway. connectors. <clears throat> so, you know, we we um, we arrive on Midway, and as you guys know, uh, or, or at least from our perspective, we had a mile of RGA cable. And of course, uh, the one sixties out on the uh, out on the water line, and it probably was four or five hundred feet from the station. And so we're putting everything together. And I'm always thought I was good on details, but we we did not have one barrel connector, not a one. So it's a long story, but I'll make it short. So we had two guys that were coming in from Honolulu the next day. So we called them and told them to go to Radio Shack and buy every barrel connector they had. We don't care how many <laughs> they have, but buy every one. So they did. And, and we, we got on the air and they arrived with the barrel connectors and everything was good to go. Good operation. <laughs> But I, I thought I thought you were going to say they arrived with two barrel connectors, which was <laughs> <No>. everything. <laughs> <clears throat> so now every time on, on my little trips now to the Bahamas, uh, guys, I uh, I'll have a hundred foot piece of cable and I'll put a barrel connector on both PL two fifty nines. 
just to so be when sure. I'm all hooked up and all right. said and done, I've got plenty extra barrel connectors. But all you need to do is miss one, and and you could be in a problem. Wow. So um, I'm curious about the kind of weather you think you're going to anticipate. Um, I, I guess in that time of the year, is it fairly mild? Is it transitional or? Dave, so it's the part of the part of the year when we should expect the least chance of really severe weather. So you know that's one of the drivers of going then. Um, but you know you can't guarantee it. So uh, we've been in the situation where we've been chased uh, chased off an island before by a tropical cyclone, and uh, you know you've just got to do what uh, do what the weather uh, tells you to do um one of the things we, we've got a fairly lengthy stay booked right we've got um you know probably up to 15 operating days so even if we have a weather delay getting on the island or you know we have to we get chased off we have to leave early we hopefully should still have a decent um chunk of operating time left so uh, um but What's the weather going to be like generally? Very hot. Um, hot. Humid. So, you know, yeah, hot, very humid, um, maybe windy, uh, or, well, will be windy, and that's a help in a sense. It cools you down a little bit, but um, uh, people who've been there before, uh, um, you know, talk about the uh, sun and how important it is to, to, to get a decent amount of, well, to, to stay cool, to hydrate, all these things that you can imagine in a very, very hot climate. Because, of course, a lot, there's a lot of hard physical work as well. You know, we've got to lug things across the island and put tents up and um, we'll draw short straws for who digs the latrine and <laughs> all this good stuff. So uh, it's hard work. Wow. You know, you know, you see all those people with those, you know, pretty Northern California DX Foundation with the with the you know call sign of the expedition there and everybody's like oh those are so cool i want one of those but i'll tell you what when you're on those islands those those tops are very very useful you know you want to have the long sleeves you want to have that type of clothing when you're in that environment so you don't get burned and uh you got to cover up you know uh when you're out in constant uh sunlight so that's always a factor that's something that we have to take into account as far as, as our preparedness it's going to be hot it's going to be nasty you know, one thing I never thought about is when you're on that island, you go to get water because you have to be hydrated. The water's what eighty degrees in the bottles. I mean, it's not like you've got refrigerators all over the place keeping it cool. I'd never see another one. Never occurred to me. So, let's pause so we can hear from a DX club that is one of our sponsors. DXing is even more enjoyable when you make connections with other DXers. A major sponsor of this podcast is the Southwest Ohio DX Association, or SWODEXA. Swodexa is best known for hosting the DX Dinner and DX Forum, as well as the Expedition of the Year Award. All these DX events are held annually in conjunction with Hamvention and are among the most well-attended and notable DX events of the year. Joining Swodexa will give you access to a great group of DXers, an informative newsletter, preferred seating at the DX Dinner and the DX Forum, and you will be supporting expeditions to the top 50 needed DXCC entities. Check us out at www.swodxa.com and click on the Membership Info tab for more information and a registration form. 
Chris, can you explain to us uh, for our um, for our listeners about your pilot stations, what their responsibilities are? Um, yeah, I can. You know, uh, I can. You know, so, you know, just in general, we've got um, a pilots in, in various continents across around the world that um, that 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 will be in touch with during the expedition that that will serve as sort of an ambassador to that region of the world. Uh, if somebody says, Hey, you know, we're, you know, you guys are signing off right before our gray line on, on 80 meters. Is there any way you could stay on for 20 more minutes? And they, they, they'll tell the pilot that the pilot will relay it to us. And if it's possible for us to do it, you know, we'll, we'll you know, we'll, we'll try and make that happen. You know, it's all about, you know, making sure that, that people get the QSOs in their logs. And we want that to happen. We want everybody to have QSOs in the logs and they want to get us in their logs. So we need those pilot stations to kind of let us know how we're being heard, how our schedule's working out as, as opposed to, you know, for Europe versus North America versus Asia PAC, you know, um, and, and uh, that's very, very important uh, uh, and why they're there. Yeah, thank you. Interesting. And um, it helps us if... Yeah, it helps us evolve during the expedition because, yes. you know, you start out with your operating schedule, you're doing certain bands at certain times. It's not going to stay like that. We're going to evolve it uh, to cover different regions. And as Chris says, the input that we're getting from people via the pilot is uh, extremely useful in understanding how to evolve that. You can't please everybody everywhere on day one. So... But give your input, and um, you know that allows us to hopefully try and please a few more people. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I think is really exciting the the, the last the expedition um, that I I missed the one in uh, what was it 03? 2008 TX three uh, Charlie because I was with Hewlett Packard at the time I went out for training and we had nothing like uh, you know remote access and stuff so I missed that that go around so I'm excited about this one. Um, but I start realizing that, uh, like Joe is kind of considered one of the grandfathers of 60 meters. So this will be the first 60 meter opportunity from uh, the island, but also FT8, right? FT8 wasn't around the last time they were there. So do, are you are you trying to do anything to address those two needs as well? Anything different than the other bands, for instance? Right. Well, so um, I guess we had this situation on on um, South Orkney as well, where it was uh, also first FPA operation and first uh, 60 meter operation. So, um, I mean, I think if you look at any of us who are going on the expedition, probably none of us are going to say, I really want to go to operate FT8. Um, that's my most favorite thing that I want to do during the day. <laughs> you know, give give Chris Ritty or give Chris a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> um, give me a seat of Norski, right? But um, on the other hand, it's a wonderful tool for, for making cues, um, you know, for people who would otherwise not be able to do it. So, um, yeah, we will put a good emphasis on FT8, but we'll put a good emphasis on the other modes as well. It's, uh, you know, we're going to... Um, we always uh, try and um, uh, get that uh, get that balance. As far as 60 is concerned, I think uh, you know there's going to be a lot of interest. It's just going to be the size of the piles, which are uh, going to be a challenge. But uh, again, 
if we do manage to stay on island for two weeks or thereabouts, uh, we don't get blown off uh, before before then, then there will be plenty of time. So I think one of the things that uh, people need to remember is that, uh, um, you know, not everybody's going to work us on the first day uh, or maybe in the first week. So, uh, you know, hang in there and um, wait until some of the piles uh, begin to thin out. But don't wait until the last scheduled day because then you really risk not getting yeah. a queue at all. Yeah. Well, the good news hey, is many, hams, uh, are, hams are a pretty patient lot, so that's a good thing. <laughs> Go ahead, Joe. Dave, how many queues uh, does your team anticipate? If, if that's a fair question. Hmm. Yeah, we have do, do uh, see we as a metric maybe? number and we probably. Yeah, how many do we make on Ducey? Can you remember? I, I, I don't remember exactly. Uh, I'd have to look it up. That's yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but it was a lot. Well, uh, yeah. and, and I, I, I doubt that we'll publish, publish a number, but. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's going to be I, a I lot, do... exactly, as Chris says. Yeah. We're going to have. Yeah. Um... yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Didn't mean to double you. Is there a delay? Oh. You lost... Uh oh. We lost him. He'll be back. He has. He has some. He has. He has some internet issues there. So uh, yeah, I, you know, I would expect that um, that, uh, that 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 you know. It's a significant amount of QSOs. And the other thing I want to mention is, is at Ducey Island, we actually were the first people to put, it's, it's hard to believe it was five years ago, um, but we were the first people to put FT8 on, on Ducey Island. Uh, and uh, um, and uh, so we made a lot of FT8 QSOs way back five years ago. And I remember because we had to, we were working with other de-expedition teams and asking about how, how, you know, how to best do it back then because it really wasn't as, um, ingrained in, in amateur radio as it's become over the, the last five years. But now it's become such an important tool for people who uh, uh, otherwise would not ever be able to contact the expedition. Right. You know, you're, you're a person with a, a backyard antenna, you know, or whatever. And, and so it's open DXing up to them. So, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious actually to see the progression of FT8 based on what we experienced back at, at Ducey, and and now that it's matured a little bit more as an application, whether it'll be a you know because it's usually something that's happening at the same time of other things happening, right? So, yeah, that's right. So. That's right. Very interesting. So um, I noticed on the website um, that there is a a mention of science and research, which I think is terrific if if you're able to help someone else leverage some work. But I I thought I'd ask about exactly what that is. Mm. So um, part of this is driven by the fact that uh, these days the, the current regulations, which were revised, I think, in 2017 regarding access to Clipperton really require you to have some scientific element to the project. So it's not, um, it, it's not optional. It's a requirement if you actually uh, want to go, uh, go to the island. So um, that's the first thing. Um, and uh, the, one of the people who's coming uh, with us, a uh, fellow called uh, Anthony Chikamian from the University of French Polynesia. He's been a, on another number of trips. Uh, this is his, uh, his book, which I've just got to uh, see what he's been doing previously. But um, 
uh, on previous expeditions to, to Clipperton, but uh, his particular interest seems to be around the human impact on the island and the um, human remains. So whether this be from uh, attempts at uh, mining guano, whether this be from military presence during the Second World War or, or since then, whether it's just stuff that's washed up. So um, in his book, he has a, an enormous catalog of basically uh, relics, if you like, what's what's on the island. And part of what he'll be looking at, I think, is continuing that work and, um, uh, you know, understanding how this is evolving. Um, and then um, obviously there's uh, the, the area around the island is actually a, a marine preserve. And so uh, I think the first slide I showed you to showing how much um, the island has changed over the years. This is a continual thing, not just the um, uh, human-related remains, but also um, uh, what's changing in terms of the um, uh, the bird life, the uh, all the animal life on the island. So um, there's, there's 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 a variety of things I think going on. Very interesting. Um, I'd like to point out for everybody that if they want to go to the website, it's uh, https colon slash slash clip clip dot pdxg dot net. Um, I think I got that right, and I actually looked it up ahead of time. <laughs> um, it's a really well done website with a lot of yeah. information. Um, I'd like to know what we can do to help. What what can the the folks listening to do? Uh, what other than following the DX uh, code of conduct, which you know, and I, I always try to pass that along, and and be patient and and with all the stuff you guys have getting in the log is, is if that happens, that's terrific. But what can we do to help? Chris, do you want, Dave, to, you want to take that? Yeah, I, yeah, sure. Um, I, I think okay. that, um, yeah, I think that, you know, obviously um, these uh, types of uh, adventures are, are not free. Uh, in fact, they're very expensive. Um, and uh, uh I'm getting a little feedback, so if I sound a little odd, that's that's me. But uh, um, so anyway, um, bad bad feedback. Uh, yeah, we can so hear anyway, fine. Yeah, it's it's weird. I'm, I'm hearing myself, and it's 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 it's, it's, it's like I'm hearing myself long path. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, but anyway so so obviously um you know our our you know we have a we have an agreement to, or what we're, we're a goal is to sort of half fund this with our team we we we're, we're paying half and we're hoping that the amateur uh, community will be able to rally together and help us Pay the other half, and and we've we've received some donations from organizations, from individuals, and we appreciate those donations very very much because you know uh, some of the things we're talking about, some of this, you know, all the setup and all the things that we need to do to help sustain these people on the islands. You know, we need to have you know the the right of right stuff to do that, and that costs money. Yeah. So we appreciate and, you know, the, any the, contribution. The, the And the biggest expense for all of the generally for all of these expeditions is the transport, you know, getting there. But, um, uh, you know, so people could say, well, couldn't they have got a, a cheaper boat? But the reality is the Shogun's been to Clipperton 
around 20 <laughs> times over the years. They've taken professional expeditions there. They've taken ham radio expeditions there. So, you know, we're dealing with a known quantity with a very high probability of success. You, you know, you could try and reduce um, expenses by uh, trying to find a Mexican fishing boat to take you. But um, the reality is, uh, you know, you want to, you want to have a, a pretty good confidence of success. And so sometimes those things just cost more money because, uh, you know, you'd rather not uh, get to the wharf and find the boat isn't there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or he forgets to come back. Yeah. Dave is, or, is or has a hard time getting back. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, is the boat staying with you or are they dropping you off and coming coming back later? No, no, they're staying with us. And so they're going to be providing quite a bit of support. So um, firstly, I mean, that's where we get our water from. They'll be making water and they bring that across and they'll bring the fuel across on a, a regular basis. But they're also going to do some of the cooking. So we expect once a day, providing conditions allow, that they will bring a meal across. And so then we can uh, reheat that and... Um, you know, if they don't uh, manage to get across because of the weather, because of the sea conditions, then um, we'll have plenty of supplies. Um, but it's going to be more of the pot noodles style <laughs> rather than uh, uh, a decent meal. But so hopefully the weather doesn't get too bad and they can keep yeah, coming. How, how long do you live on breakfast cereal? Yeah. <laughs> Dry. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> well... I hope uh, right. I hope everyone listening, you know, considers you know twenty five dollars or or something that that they could uh, go out to the web page and sign up and uh, promote you guys along. And and again, I uh, I'm only getting a taste for what all this takes to put together, but it's a it's a tremendous undertaking. And um, I appreciate you guys, you know, having the courage to do that. And uh, um, hopefully, I can get you in the log, and everyone else that would like to can get you in the log, and that that'll make it a terrific time. So. Um, as you reflect back, is there anything I'd missed or anything you'd like to comment on that I didn't mention? I'd actually like to make a comment. Um, you know, I, I'm a pretty a pretty active guy in, in the contest community and stuff like that. I know a lot of folks, but I, I have to say that um, this team is a highly professional and dedicated team. We've got a team of, you know, ham radio specialists, uh, de-expedition specialists, and our job is basically to put QSOs in our log. And so this is going to be a good show. If we can get this thing, you know, get everybody landed and everything goes good, we're going to put on a big show. It's going to be really good. And uh, I'm really excited. And, and I'm really excited to be working again with these guys because they're amazing. When I went for the first time, I was absolutely blown away. That's terrific. That's really great. Yeah. Anything else, Joe? Yeah, the only thing I just liked. Go ahead. Oh, I got one question, uh, Dave. It, it probably will be several years before anyone goes back to to Clipperton. So I have a two two part question. Number one, do do you think in ten years, for example, that the authorities would let another de expedition go? And if not, would this new uh, radio in a box? Do you think that would be a, a good option if you never could get permission again? 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think um, it's very clear that uh, over, you know, even just over the decade or so that I've been expeditioning, and of course you've got vastly more experience over this, that um, it's not getting easier to go to almost any of these places. And so, um, yeah, uh, the if it was a situation where that was the only alternative, then obviously I think that's a, a really good thing to consider. Um, I think from the experience of the expedition team and the ability to put on, um, you know, a lot of stations, uh, have them running all the time, etc. Um, it's probably more attractive for the expeditioner to actually be there, right, and be on the island and be doing that. So. Uh, You've got some competing interests, and uh, I hope still to be able to go to some of these uh, remote islands. But um, yeah, it will it will depend a lot on uh, just as much on permissions as mm -hmm. anything else. That's a good point. Is is that um, the operators so that do point. this stuff? Um, we enjoy going to these islands. We, we, we love, we're ham radios to the core. We're ham radio operators to the core. We're DXers to the core. But we also love the adventure, and and this is an adventure. It's not without risk. There's a little bit of risk involved. It's well calculated, but um, we enjoy it, and we're seeing places that other people don't necessarily get to go to, and that's very special to me. And I know it's special for a lot of our team. That's very special. Well, guys, I really appreciate you taking time. I'm um, I'm hoping, uh, like I said, we'll continue to build the interest and. I'd love to have you come back uh, six months from now when you're home and safe and uh, uh, your feet are up and we can talk about how it went. That'd be terrific. And, Dude, and look Frank, at my sunburn. Yeah. <laughs> a, exactly. From a very personal, uh, selfish standpoint, I hope uh, you get tired of my call when you're on Clipperton, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> I, I, all, I have is, all I have is a vertical, and, and I told Joe my signal's so bad I couldn't even work the pirates at Bouvet, much less work Bouvet. So. <laughs> But that's okay. I, I really appreciate it. Um, I'm well, uh, jealous. Is, yeah. you, you just sound like you got a great group. You guys have so much enthusiasm, and uh, I'm excited for it. I, I we'll, we'll continue to watch it, and uh, uh, hopefully uh, you'll you'll join us at the uh, Dayton uh, DX dinner next uh, spring, and uh, we can shake hands and say thanks, and really get a really get a dump from you. That would be terrific. So thanks very much. My pleasure. Our pleasure. Yeah. Thank right. you very thank much, you. guys. I. I wish you all the best of luck. I, I know Gene Spinelli uh, very well and, and Glenn. They're just old good friends. And and your team is uh, is is well known. And so um, my wishes go to you. Have a, a safe and fun trip. And I need you on 60 meters, uh, David. Oh, yeah. Don't forget that. <laughs> that's it. That's the only place I need to is on 60 meters. We hear you. But, but in a way, have uh, have fun and be safe, yeah. guys. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. It'll be great. Thank you. Thanks, Thank guys. you. Ready to work, Clipperton? I certainly am. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the DX Mentor Podcast. I would like to thank our sponsors, ICOM America, The Daily DX, DX Engineering, and the Southwest Ohio DX Association. You won't find anyone more committed to DX than these sponsors. I would especially like to thank our gurus on this podcast, Joe, W-A-G-E-X, Dave, K-3-E-L, and Chris, N-6-Whiskey Mike. 
I would love to have your feedback, answer your questions, and provide help with any DX or amateur related issues that you may have. If you need clarification on something you heard or you just have a question, please email me at thedxmentor at gmail.com. Please drop me a note if you've achieved an all-time new one, received recognition, or have a DX event that you would like us to mention. I would be happy to do that. 7-3 for this episode, and as always, thanks to my XYL Karen for her love and support.